Hello. Thanks for listening to this Dharma podcast. I hope you consider that in accordance with the Buddhist tradition, all of my work as a teacher is offered without charge and supported entirely by donations only. If you'd like to support this work, you'll find a PayPal button on dharmapunksnyc.com. Our first developmental task in life uh, in childhood is to establish a secure base uh, which allows us essentially the felt sense that there will be people there to help soothe us and appreciate our efforts and help pick up the pieces when we take developmental risks. When we take, you know, a child needs to have the sense that a, a caregiver will be there to soothe her, to appreciate her efforts, that will um, mirror her emotions. And when you have that sense that there's somebody in your corner, there's people there that will help you process the emotions that happen after difficult setbacks. It gives you the power to take risks in your life. We all need to have that secure base. And when we have that secure base, it also creates what's a resilient self. The self is not a story of who I am. It's not an ego. That's the story of your accomplishments. A self is a felt uh, embodied somatic sense of confidence, feeling of capability, feelings that other people will respond in some positive way to your needs and so forth. So it allows you to essentially grow if you have that secure base and you have that resilient self. Um, and this process of getting the secure base is entirely outside in. Nobody is born with a secure base. We are born just with the drive to connect so that we can have a chance of feeling secure. So that's what our drive is. Our drive is to connect and bond. So, and when we get the four qualities of secure attachment, which is you know, connection that's reliable, uh, emotional mirroring, being seen, being soothed, you know, when we're distressed, being someone can calm us down and someone who appreciates and delights in our creativity. When you get those four qualities of secure attachment, you have a secure base, you feel empowered to take risks, to embrace opportunities, to be creative expressively. And all of that work is done outside in. None of us, again, are born with it. So, these early interactions with others are crucial to the development of, to reach developmental milestones. But then, when the, by the time we're adults, we have to balance that outside in, that need, which never goes away, for support, mirroring, soothing, uh, kindness. We have to balance that with inside out, awareness, which is we have to be able to uncover our unmet needs, our unmet longings. Nobody outside of you, while they can, people outside of you can help you develop a secure base in childhood, nobody can tell you what your unmet needs are, what your core longings. Nobody can tell you that you really want to be, uh, you know, a DJ or a, that you really want to be a painter, or that you really want to uh, 
be a therapist or that you really want to work with children. Nobody can tell you that. That sense of innate or deep longings uh, that are what Christopher Bolas, a famous psychologist, says is lodged in our receptive unconscious. Each of us, by the time we're adult, we have experienced interactions with people and we've seen these people do things that are creative or empowering and in, a, in each of us we have specific um, associations with oh if only I could do that and that endeavor creates excitement but that resonance has to come with, from within you know you might see it in others but only you will know what is an authentic path for yourself nobody can reach in and tell you what resonates, what creates that sense of delight, excitement, that sense of um, something that registers on a deeply visceral level where you feel enlivened when you engage in some activity. Um, there sure as fuck was nobody saying, hey Josh, you should be a, a, a Buddhist teacher working counseling. I know I had to finally get to that point where I could just reach down and, and connect with all those unmet needs and longings to be of value and beneficial and to pass on some, uh, what I thought to be information that would be of help to people. And I realized that that was something that lied deep in my core of what was creating a sense of fulfillment in my life. So fulfillment unlike a secure base which comes from the outside in what creates fulfillment we have to be able to glean that information from the inside out right nobody's going to be able to give that to us so um uh, we're balancing and we're getting these you know for some of us those that in the that fulfillment that purpose that vitality might come from being creative or being altruistic or or being a teacher or being um, someone who is engaged in the performative arts or I don't know my you know the list is ongoing um, and for some of, to do that we have to though be willing to feel into and be able to connect with some inner compass that guides us to what creates fulfillment in our life. So, um, unfortunately, getting in the way of this, I think, most authentic, I mean, this is what the existentialists, of course, focus their attention on, the idea of finding an authentic path that's not in any way pre you know, presented to you. It's not something that someone can assign you at the end of the day it's something that you have that has to register within that has to create that that feeling of aliveness so um but there's lots of factors that get in the way one of which of course is we live in a culture that uh validates the idea of that there's no difference between fulfillment and happiness in our culture this idea that it should be something that is, you can accumulate, you can purchase. The idea that we should simply through 
that it should be uh, the result of financial security or living alone or achievement or career advancement or, or cultivating uh, social media reputation. Things that are things, are endeavors that we can move towards that have, uh, that have no emotional quality to them. They're just, you know, you work, you get paid, then I should be able to purchase my happiness. I should be able to purchase it like a vacation or purchase it like anything else. Um, and that's not the way it works. Fulfillment is something that is resonates entirely in the right hemisphere of the brain, which doesn't give a fuck about our reputation. It doesn't even give a fuck about how much money we have. It doesn't give. So it doesn't really care about our tribal status. All of those concerns are entirely left hemispheric. The left brain is uh, does not create emotional resonance or feelings of deep wellness. That's not where it resides. Um, and, and our culture points us to the idea that fulfillment should be another commodity. It should, it's something that you, you know, everybody should know what it is. It should be something that you can essentially uh, attain, attain it. Uh, and it should essentially, you, it should be modeled by what we are shown. Um, I was listening to this debate the other day between, get this, uh, a rather, the rather horrifying to me, Jordan Peterson, who is this right-wing, uh, just you know, sham psychologist that uh, is to me an embarrassment to the world of psychology, and Slavoj Žižek. What they were even doing together, I had no idea, but it was this debate between the two. So I kind of skipped through Peterson because I, I personally find him to be deeply revolting. But uh, um, I listened to the Zizek parts because I always find him to be at least thought-provoking. Um, and he said at one point, the pursuit of happiness, not fulfillment, but he's talking about happiness, relies on a subject's inability or unreadiness to fully confront the consequences of their desires. And what he's saying here is that um, these are not our authentic desires. These are the desires that have been essentially what he calls interpolated or put on us through culture, through advertising, through commodification, through you know all of the content we've been exposed to in our lives that point us towards you know fulfillment is should come from having kids and a picket fence and a house and or my own one bedroom apartment or it should be something that i just should set my willpower to and if i work 40 hours a week i should get fulfillment and um he says then we pretend to desire things we do not really desire and what that means is deep down inside these things that have been enshrined as, as fulfilling uh, are not really what deep down inside create resonance, create a sense of somatic uh, ease and comfort. It doesn't create esteem. It doesn't create a sense of well-being. 
We pretend to desire things we do not really desire so that ultimately the worst thing that can happen for us is to get what we officially desire. You know, that's another, that's a sort of Zizekian of be careful what you wish for. You know, but essentially what he's saying is that, um, God forbid, we put ourselves on this path to attain a good reputation, financial security, uh, great health plan, and all that. And then when you get there and you arrive, and there's this deep hollowness and lack of unmet self-actualization, as Maslow called it, how empty would our life feel and how deeply miserable would, would we be in that event? So this kind of, though, also chasing after... <laughs> what is that? Uh, I'm glad you all heard that, too. <laughs> I've been sober for 24 years, and I was at a, at a, a, a meeting, a recovery meeting, about 10 years ago. There was an earthquake. And all the people of time didn't say anything. Because <laughs> we were all convinced, okay, all of the, it's finally caught up with me. Finally, finally it was a newcomer that said, holy shit, that was an earthquake. We went, Woo, thank God you said that. Uh, anyway, so I'm glad you all heard that. So when we, when we chase after inauthentic, inauthentic, when we when we believe that fulfillment is just another commodity or should be attainable like another commodity, we rely on what's called protective parts. Protective parts are um, essentially performances we enact to get love and look good in workplaces and in dates and in you know engagements. It's where it's a form of self-editing where we uh, delete the the parts of ourselves that we believe other people won't like the frustration the sadness the despair the longing for something more the sense of frustration in our jobs our life um, and instead we enact these behaviors that we think and have been somewhat instilled in family systems very often early on, or at least in school educational systems, that if we're pleasing, if we're nice, if we're a woman, a woman in a misogynist culture, if we never show any signs of anger, because that would allow us to set boundaries and not to be, you know, trampled all over. And if we're a man, we're not allowed to show sadness or fear after, you know, breakups where we're only supposed to show anger and stuff like that. So we develop these performances that are designed to get us love and acceptance. Some of us are steered towards excessive care taking or workaholism or perfectionism. Uh, all of these are worrying. All of these all of these performances are geared towards making us feel safer in our interactions because we believe all we need to do is just look good and then fulfillment will come about at the end. Look, I sacrificed all these parts of myself that were true. 
I didn't show my anger, my fear, my loneliness, my grief. So surely I should, at the end of the day, feel fulfilled. Well, of course, just that self-editing makes us anything but fulfilled because to be fulfilled in one level is to be able to feel and display and, and express all of those core, uh, really um, vital, uh, adaptive core emotions. Um, and then when those protective parts fail, what will happen is we will then um, very often rely on sort of uh, even more maladaptive coping strategies. When we don't feel heard at our jobs, when we don't feel connected, really emotionally seen by other people, then that's when food or when alcohol or when Netflix uh, binging or when shopping becomes sought after because they raise the dopamine levels and they create a sense that we've accomplished something, that we've done something that's truly meaningful. Of course, that's just an effect of the dopamine that those things for a little while left, but they don't actually create, of course, any fulfillment. No one looks back on their life and, and thinks, well, thank God I binged on, you know, no way or whatever, you know. <laughs> thank, thank, thank heavens I watched that, that season two in two nights, you know. <laughs> thank God I, thank God I, you know, I, I, I bought that fifth hoodie on, you know, Amazon or whatever. Tinder, of course, is a great way to mask feelings of loneliness and uh, disconnection. So we rely on these as um, to create temporary feelings of fulfillment, esteem, feeling seen and feeling loved, but they evaporate very often within the hour after we've, we've clicked by or, you know, there's been the orgasm or, you know, we've like finished the bag of, you know, of whatever kind of cookies or whatever. <laughs> so where do we get pointed in the, in the right direction of right, what, what resonates with the right hemisphere, which is all about connection, nature, interdependence, security, it's about uh, those things that cannot be purchased, and they're about they're about actions that creativity. It's all of these actions, emotional connection, uh, um, any kind of creative endeavor. They're all risky and vulnerable, and they're not things that we just can show up, work for, and are naturally given. They are endeavors that. Um, that are not obvious. So we do have, though, an inner compass. It's just most of us, I think, um, don't know exactly what that inner compass is. Um, I'm going to name a few. Uh, and you'll be surprised how many of these factors are we consider to be negative or unlikable traits, but they actually are authentic 
guides to what creates what, where our unmet needs are. So for many of us, our sense of unfairness, our sense of protest, our sense of other people are getting away with things and we are not being treated well. Now, the story isn't that helpful, but that felt sense of I'm in a place where I don't feel truly seen and appreciated, that's a very true guy. That's a very important uh, core state to acknowledge and to say, well, wait, maybe I am in the wrong job, the wrong career. When I was in um, uh, advertising in 2001, when 9-11 happened, I was already uh, studying Buddhism deeply and psychology, but when it happened, it, it became impossible for me to go to work and feel fulfilled and feel happy, happy and feel uh, any sense of um, it just felt like petty and stupid. And if I had ignored that, that those feelings or pathologized them or, or sought, you know, to find the perfect meditation to, to, as a spiritual bypass to navigate around that unhappiness, then I would not be doing whatever the fuck I'm doing right now with you, you know? Um, cause, but that, that, that sense of, that sense of unhappiness, that sense of this is, uh, this is not right. This is stupid. What I'm doing, what we're all doing here is just makes no sense. We're there, you know, this country is going to war with a country that didn't even fucking do anything to us. And we're now in this militaristic society and, uh, and what I'm doing is showing up to this stupid job you know, advertising IBM made no sense. So uh, that feeling of, of protest, unfairness, unhappiness is very much, um, I think, a compass. Feelings of brokenness and isolation that lead to depression, that means we've tried something, we've tried to connect, we've tried to be vulnerable, and that the fact that the needs weren't met and created that sense of overwhelm and that sense of despair that doesn't indicate that we were wrong to to try to reach out, be creative, to connect with another human being. It simply meant that we tried to connect with the wrong person. But it indicates, by the very fact that it hurt so much, it indicates that there was something vital and meaningful in the endeavor itself. Our Compensatory fantasies, the stories like, oh, it would be so great if I lived in Venice Beach, you know, <laughs> where every day it's officially 74 degrees and you're right by the ocean where every day, you know, and, and there's the, I don't remember the name of the wonderful, you know, uh, health food store that everybody shops there, but you know, everything's great. That, that fantasy indicates that there's this, we're not truly connected with nature, we're stuck indoors, that we feel isolated, that we don't feel in some way vitally part of a landscape and environment, a connection with the world around us. 
So if we don't get lost in the stories or the particulars and we just ask what is the core longing tucked in these, these feelings of defeat, these feelings of protest, these fantasies, what is the deeper longing in there? They can be so, uh, they can point to some truth, some, some unmet need. Sometimes we'll have fantasies about the perfect partner. That's not unhealthy. That actually can be very healthy, indicating where attachment needs haven't been met in us. If we want a partner who's more, if we visualize a partner who's more uh, attentive or uh, emotionally reliable, you know, or whatever, those can indicate unmet needs. Our needs for reassurance our neediness, which we can so pathologize and believe that it's unattractive, and we can, we can, we can feel so uh, beat up on ourselves for expressing needs, but the neediness in itself can really indicate where very, very healthy attachment needs for being seen and delighted in and cared for just not being met. So our neediness is not a mistake at all. Um, of course, a lot of this, once we connect with these feelings, we can still be derailed if we try to seek orange juice from the hardware store, as they call it in Al-Anon. If we keep wasting time seeking validation from family members that can't give it, or on the other hand, the even greater futility of trying to get all of those needs by one person. Um, well, I'm not a big believer in the whole NBD codependence because I think it sort of pathologizes our natural attachment needs. But I do believe that no one person can meet these core needs for fulfilling connection and appreciation, that it's as Robin Dunbar, the evolutionary psychologist, has shown that we need a group of friends, a support network, to actually have a deep sense of fulfillment in our life. It's not just about doing altruistic acts. It's not just about being creative. It's about having other adults that we can turn to and not seek advice, but just have the safe container to express all of our core emotional states and be heard. So, putting aside these, uh, the normal sort of commodification of fulfillment and realizing from these negative or pain, as they're called, or painful or some people call them shadow emotions, seeing that they're actually true articulations of something that is still longing and reaching for better in us and understanding them, we need to be able to not only have that support from uh, individuals who create a secure base, but we also have to be able finally to self-soothe as we go along the process of um, chasing after something that I think is far more vital. It's uh, in my personal journey, um, there was, you know, uh, I went from, in 2000, 
five when I two thousand four or five I don't remember it was like maybe in two thousand four when I started teaching, and at first that journey from being in advertising to being a you know a Buddhist teacher uh, was deeply awkward, and there was lots of times where I felt really really deflated, and also as well. Um, so the person I succeeded, uh, Noah, the person who was teaching before me, um, as you know, he also is a bald guy that has tattoos, right? <laughs> so when I started teaching, people would come in and from a distance they they would look and then they'd come closer and they'd see who's me and not Noah, and then they just go Ugh, and roll and leave, like turn around and leave. And it's like, oh, you're not the person. I wanted to see, and that that created, it activated so many, you know, felt it like all in the the neurons in the right brain holding all of the uh, those times in high school and in grade school where I felt unloved and rejected would be activated, and I just have this flooding of feelings of like worthlessness and un being unlovable, and I had to self soothe. To be able to persevere towards that which created often some felt sense of, and I, you know, just be, you know, telling people who would come up to me, oh, are you still working in advertising? No, I actually love that to be to teach the Dharma by donations. <laughs> you see, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> you know so the, the self-soothing is is vital as well. That's one is of course conscious breathing long exhalations that actually engages the vagal brake, slows down your not only your heart rate but actually reduces your blood pressure and it creates uh you it brings you back to the parasympathetic which allows you to then disconnect from obsessive worrying thoughts oh shit maybe i won't be able to succeed in this or pursue this Placing a hand actually over your chest to create a felt sense of a secure base is actually been shown to engage the vagal brake as well. Uh, when in childhood we felt a hand over our chest is when we is it literally people's blood pressure, their uh, the cortisol levels drop. Secure visualizations, practicing visualizing a. Uh, dedicated, caring, soothing uh, figure. In some spiritual practices, they call this, you know, visualizing a god. I'm, I'm an atheist, but I very often will just sit and listen to a Tara Brock talk, and she's got the most soothing voice, like fucking ever. And yeah. you just hear her voice, and you visualize this. Uh, this like maternal loving figure looking at you and saying all the really beautiful words that you hear in the meditation that creates the sense of security that allows us to continue to take risks and pursue something that's vital. Um, positive self-talk makes us sound, make, you know, sounds horrible just even saying those words aloud. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, but if you can try to connect, just, you know, reminding ourselves when we have setbacks 
that we've all had setbacks in the past and we've all persevered and and to remind ourselves of those people that are still who care about us and remind ourselves of those times that we were beneficial to others and to try to connect those words with some feeling in the vagal centers is very very useful framing awareness keeping the awareness bigger than just the because when we go through a setback on our journey then when there's this feeling of vulnerability the left brain will jump in and go oh no i'm feeling something i better turn this into a story that will make sense of it and generally it'll point us entirely in the wrong direction the first thing was say was that'll teach me for reaching out and trying something new or or believing i could find love or believing that i deserve better so the key is to find the bigger framing awareness which can allow us to detach from those those stories that try to make sense of it in the most fatalistic way and instead just create an a, an awareness big enough just to feel the disappointment but not get stuck in the interpretation of it uh so yeah i think that's enough for tonight i think that's some things to reflect on uh and if that wasn't good enough well then come next week but we're going to now meditate and we're going to actually connect with some of those authentic inner compasses to direct us to where our true longings for growth are we're not going to pathologize ourselves or hold our feelings of disappointment as some indication that we're we're doing our life wrong we're actually going to treat them with kindness So um closing the eyes and just allowing yourself really to settle in and taking a moment to just find a good position to practice in So first would be to uh just make sure that the head isn't tilting in front of the body that there's a nice stretched long neck that your chin is completely parallel to the ground or even lifted up a little like you're looking at a tall building and then we'll take a nice full in breath and lift the shoulders up and hold them up and then as you breathe out slowly through the mouth just relax and open up your chest so that there's a lot of space and just see if you can feel some warmth in the sternum and the heart center and then another full in breath through the nose and either pull in or push out your belly make it really awkward and then as you breathe out soften your belly the soft belly is 
really lies at the hub of the dorsal vagal and the when your belly is relaxed, it sends a message up through the insula to your brain saying that you're okay, you're safe. There's no threat present. You can actually relax into your life. And then for our third in-breath, squinch the muscles in the face, tighten the nose, tighten Throw the brow, clench the jaw, and then as you breathe out, just unclench the jaw, just relax. So let's sit for a while just bearing witness to our life as it is in this moment, both receiving all of the actual sensations that are going on, listening engages the vagal break, so just try to be aware of all the sounds that are actually happening. Try to just relax into all this present auditory experience, the voice from the other room, the gentle sounds of shifting. And keep in the front of your awareness if, as much as you can the sensations of aspiration, breathing. Finding some physiological marker of when you're breathing in and when you're breathing out. For me, that's very often a movement from the belly up to the chest and the in-breath and then this decrease, this release on the out-breath.
And then just inclining the body towards the longest out breath, not pushing out the air, just releasing it. The longer the out breath, the more likely you are to return to a rest and digest state of your nervous system. The more emphasis on the in-breath, the more activating, the more sympathetic nervous system we wind up in. So just keep the attention on the out-breath and just try to incline it towards a state of ease and comfort. Just getting to that state of being where we're willing to come to a complete standstill, letting go of all the momentum in life, coming to a complete stop, putting aside all the sense that there's something else needing to be attended to. State you get to when you are on the first day of a vacation. No place to go, nothing to do. And any thought about responsibilities or obligations or schedules or unresolved business, just you're willing to put aside because you just really want to relax and drink in. And we don't, we don't have to wait until a vacation to get to that deeply restorative mind state. We just have to be willing to create the same physiological state, that same mental state, but this inclination to get caught up in thoughts about any other place, any other time, any other situation.
whenever your mind gets lost in a thought, just don't get frustrated, it's totally normal. And in fact, that's a great opportunity you've been presented with. Every time you awaken and realize we've been kidnapped by a concern or some virtual reality in the mind, it's an opportunity to neurally ingrain the ways back to our home in the present. You're actually strengthening the circuits that allow you to find ease and comfort in your life. If you can detach from your thoughts in the meditation, you'll be able to detach from your fears and anxieties and catastrophizing worries and other times in your life. It gives you a escape route. So it's to be celebrated every time you wake up, not something to be frustrated by. So at this point, I'd like to invite you to uh, <coughs> first find 
the state of being that you're in by scanning the front of your body from the sensations in your face down your throat to your shoulders to your chest and finally down to your abdomen and what I'd like you to do is to just note that state And is your belly tight or relaxed? Is your chest open? Or does it feel clenched? Does it feel like your shoulders are, are wrapped around the front of your chest or are the shoulders back? Is your throat open? Does it feel clenched? Is the muscles on the face, does the mouth feel wide, the corners of the mouth, or does it feel pinched? The brow, does it feel furrowed or smooth? Are the eyes jumpy or settled? And then I'd like you to bring to mind some event recently that created a, a feeling of deflation, of disappointment, unfairness, even feelings of uniqueness or something wrong or broken about me. Just visualize or remind yourself of what that event was. Could be a creative endeavor or an interpersonal disappointment, a feeling of not really being truly heard or appreciated in a relationship or in a, a roommate or a family member. sense of someone acting in a way that felt unsafe. And just once you have the appropriate image or event, just feel into your body and try to find some somatic expression of that disappointment. Could be in your belly, or maybe your chest feels a little more hollow. Maybe there's a sense of sadness and expressed from the muscles of the face. Let's see if you can connect with that physiological articulation of 
this disappointment and letting go of the image just ask this feeling what does it really need what do you what am i really yearning for what is the longing tucked in this disappointment that hasn't been met So let any trace of that image go and see if you can connect now with something that's a reoccurring fantasy or daydream. I really wish I could be, live. Where would that be? Where would that best possible imaginable outcome what would that look like just hold an image in your mind and really visualize it what it would look like really put yourself in that place that beautiful house that beautiful location that perfect job that perfect relationship whatever it is and so see if you can connect now with something in your body that feels that sense of yearning again just find it What does this want you to know? What's not being met?
we're tucked in our greatest disappointments, our need for reassurance, and our fantasies of escape are actually pointing us, if we pull away the particulars and just ask what is the real unmet need, that's where the longing for fulfillment, the compass that directs us to what is true for us, can be found. Ready, take your time, and whenever it feels right, just very slowly open your eyes and look at the ground in front of you and try to integrate sight back into this embodied awareness, not pushing away anything we've connected with somatically, just integrating this felt embodied mindful stay with an awareness of the room around us. <clears throat> 